0: South of Asheville When those tears filled your eyes The dogwood in the springtime All along Blue Ridge skies
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the 440 Guitar Podcast. I am your host today, Gerald Powell. Thank you so much for tuning up. You can catch the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor.fm forward slash uh, 440. Be sure to follow the podcast as well on Instagram at the 440 Guitar Podcast uh, to get updates on the episodes coming out. And then, of course, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. You can do that at the 440podcast at gmail.com. Or you can just send me a direct link through the Instagram as well. So feel free to do that if you would like to do so. Uh, and then also, too, one of the first things I wanted to mention, uh, if you are a fan not only of guitar, but say uh, hip-hop, R&B music as well, I do co-host a, a music po- another music podcast with some uh some 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 really cool guys uh preston Bud and chris lopez it's called the music buds with with two d's uh because it's a a preston buds podcast really fun podcast there you kind of get a different dimension of me so (laughs) if you like hearing my voice uh feel free to check out the music buds there we recently covered uh the, uh, the the Locks Dipset versus Battle, which is really important, definitely, in the state of New York. So feel free to check that out if you'd like to do so. Uh, today, I am very excited as we have a very talented artist here on the show. I wanted to read a description here from the website, from his website. Uh, and it says here that this artist writes songs about growing up, growing up with a life infused with a mystic wonder, softening the world's sharp edges like a glass of exceptionally... Uh, fine bourbon uh, he grew up stepped in classic records his americana influenced new folk is grounded in a tradition of great narrative songwriters like cat stevens and paul simon and yet his voice is strikingly current uh the new york city native who's uh put down roots in vermont as uh, efforts effortlessly uh blends uh, sagacious wit and emotional depth uh, the 440 Guitar Podcast is very excited to have uh, Chris uh, Gruen uh, on the show. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you, Joe? I'm good. I'm I'm doing yeah, doing pretty good here. Uh, just trying to ride the last wave here before uh, the summertime fizzles out, goes into the fall. Uh, it's funny we were talking before you know before recording. Uh, and I was like, "Man, I really dig that landscape behind you." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, up here in Vermont, it's really nice, right
1: now. Nice, very good, very cool. Uh, so, uh, tell tell me just a little bit before we get started. You know what's uh, what's recently been going on uh, with you? I know you said that you you did a show not too long ago in uh, in Los Angeles, but just how's uh, how's the music scene uh, been going for you recently?
0: Well, you know that that trip to L.A. was primarily so I could. Uh, Get some time live on a stage again. We played the Hotel Cafe um, a few weeks ago. Now I think it was uh, the twenty fourth of July, mm-hmm. and uh, it was so nice to be back in a live, you know, setting in that oh, yeah. venue in particular. It's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. and um, and to be out in the world for that reason again. And it was it was nice to play with a full band. That's not always the case for me. I you know I travel uh, often playing solo or duo. Um, and uh, we chose to put a band together to hear what this new record sounds like on a stage, um, and how quickly we could assemble, uh, you know, a likeness of what the record sounds like. And we did a great job. If I do say so myself, the band put together was wonderful and Mm. we made a really great show. So I would say that's mostly, you know, that's, that's the last musical moment I can, I can say has been, um, most recently very important i mean we just finished this record before that and Mm. i'm really loving the record too and getting ready to tour it uh, in support of jesse malin in september october in the uk
1: nice nice all systems go at this point huh
0: yeah (laughs) yeah it's, it's really strange i mean it it's a there's a it's a mixed bag of feelings taking this out Uh, leaving vermont and going out into the world in any capacity right now and Mm -hmm. uh you know um there's the real health concerns that we're all you know grappling with but there's this ethical question of is it right to be traveling for any reason right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that's a very interesting piece to to what it's like to get ready for this so definitely definitely
1: definitely um so on the 440 guitar podcast uh, we're really big on origin stories how people got to where they are today uh and just to kick off the conversation here um tell me about your earliest memories of music oh
0: <laughs> my earliest earliest memories of music my my both my parents were involved with music business not as musicians uh but um but very much involved in, in the music business and scene in new york city coming out of new york city in the late 60s early 70s and my father's stayed in the business he's a photographer rock and roll photographer mm. and my mother back then was um was making film and uh, they started with bands like i can tina turner uh, before i was born uh, they have some of the earliest footage of of uh of Ike and Tina, oh wow and um and uh and the new york dolls uh they worked closely with them too my mom managed them for a minute um and uh and both my father bob and and nadia um worked closely with uh john lennon and yoko when they came to new york so wow you can imagine there's uh a, a, and my father's worked with every artist you can think of so he would often take me along to sessions and and shows, concerts, huge concerts, you know, big stadium shows, and then later on, go to Max's, Kansas City, or CBGBs, and uh, I'd see the punk shows late at night, the Ramones, Blondie. Uh, I saw those bands when I was like three, four years old, wow. and uh, kind of was introduced to that music in those small rooms. Mm viscerally, you know, it's beyond loud. It's like a body experience, you know, hearing the Ramones and CBGBs. (laughs) And um, and so I I would imagine that that's where it was really put inside of me, so to speak. Um, Mm. And I I, it was too much for for me. And then, you know, my my mother's second husband uh, later on was Joe Beck, who was a phenomenal jazz guitarist. So Mm. then we started to be introduced to the world of classical and jazz. And um, so it was a lot to take in as a little kid it was it was exhausting and i think oh, that wow. the, you know i think the impression was this might not be for me i loved the country immediately i was born in new york city hmm. but my mother introduced me to connecticut and then upstate new york near woodstock when i was a teenager and then uh, you know i went to school in vermont and i stayed here but the music and the experience of the music never left so eventually i came back to it as a creator
1: hmm.
0: wow wow
1: so needless to say there is a there is a pretty um pretty awesome vinyl collection being played throughout the house when you were growing up (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah. well you know my dad really liked to listen to reggae a lot Mm. and he would listen to a lot of the people who influenced the clash the clash is one of my dad's favorite bands Mm. and uh, he would always go to like the you know the flea markets in Paris or in London when he was there, and find all the great Jamaican, you know, unknowns, mm-hmm. uh, and play that dub and the early dub and that and that reggae in the house. So, wow. you know, like musical youth was probably the first record I got when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, that and like a kiss record, you know, one on either extreme, but you know, past the Dutch upon the left hand side, remember that song? <laughs> I don't know if that, if that no. rings a bell, but that was a, that was a famous reggae tune when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Mm. That musical youth made popular and um but he played all the punk bands and all the reggae and then at my mom's house it was uh you know quincy jones oh. and a lot of jazz um wow. miles davis and you know and uh and and great african music and then a lot of classical so it was oh. a diaspora wow wow
1: Wow, and then you know, given you know having those influences uh you know growing up when when did it lead free you, to you uh you know learn learning uh you know learning uh you and know learning guitar you know learning instruments yeah.
0: yeah yeah it it wasn't until I wanted to be a songwriter that i well you know I started playing hand drums when I first got to school, uh, like every good hippie kid you mm-hmm. know like at the parties, but it just that alone, I started to realize how much I loved it and how much more I felt like I could make of it mm. than just jamming with a bunch of, you know, folks who weren't that committed or anything. And um, just being into hand percussion like that led to me joining the jazz ensemble at the college um, in my, I guess my junior or senior year, that was like 95, 96, 97, somewhere in there. Mm. And um, I was, you know, 19, No, no, it was earlier than that. I was like, yeah, no, about nineteen, nineteen twenty, and uh, in the jazz ensemble I had joined to be a percussionist. But they, you know, the the band leader, it was a New Orleans transcendental rhythm and blues band, and the the teacher said, "Hey, is anybody in here willing to try and sing, uh, you know, the lead parts for these songs?" Everyone was an instrumentalist, and I said, "You know, I can, I can give it a shot." And I started singing and they said, okay, you're not the percussionist anymore. <laughs> 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 the gig. And, uh, I was, that was really cool. And that was encouraging. And so mm. I did, that was my only formal musical education was just, you know, learning the, the lyrics and mm. the melodies to like, you know, uh, songs like, Oh, Oh dear Liza and things like that. in St. James infirmary. Mm. And, um, and then after I graduated college, when I was about twenty-four, my younger cousin gave me a guitar that somebody left at his house and showed me the basics of how to tune off the lower low E string. Mm. And uh and I and I did that and started writing songs. And then when I finally started to learn more about what I was doing, I found out that my tuning wasn't that the low E string was actually tuned to D. And so like oh. all my, <laughs> my first body of me, <laughs> My first body of music was all written in D, oh, wow. uh, detuning like a full detuning, and so that stuck with me. I still tune there, um, and wow. have to you know, consciously choose to write in E. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's so interesting. You said a lot of interesting things just now. First, the first thing is like when you learn, you know, when you when you started singing, you know, and and kind of having that experience where you're, you know, you're not just singing like you know alone you're seeing with uh you know an ensemble you know seeing around music and kind of learning that having that experience you know and then when it comes to the guitar kind of like unintentionally almost kind of creating this this sound that you know that uh you know that that uh you know you, you weren't you weren't sure that you know that it was on the the D you know open D you know and that's definitely it's almost like a completely different instrument
0: you know when you're tuning yeah. that <laughs> it's definitely a, a more, you know starts to lean in the direction of baritone mm. but it's warm you know and it's, and it's uh it's really different you mm. know that it, it does set you apart mm. um, and it's you know some for some for, you know for for example It's much better for me to put on medium gauge uh, strings. Mm. Most acoustic players, when they're really, you know, playing their instruments correctly, are using those light strings. Yeah. Um, And I use a a heavier string. So again, it adds to a different voice for the guitar. Um, it's been both a blessing and a curse, you know, it's, it's hard for band members to watch my hands and just figure out what it is I'm playing, mm. uh, you know, yeah. on stage, they forget their part or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and sometimes I'll transpose a song wrong and like send, uh, you know, send people the wrong chord charts because I forgot that I'm not tuning. you know, I'm not, I'll, I'm now, now that I've actually learned e-tuning E much mm. better, I I forget my own unique, uh, Cord, uh, you know, composites and uh, mm. it can be it be a little tricky, but no, no, it's great. It is, it's great. Yeah,
1: that's so interesting too because I remember uh, in college I was in a jazz ensemble course and my professor uh, Barry McNaughton is kind of just like this like insane, insane musical mind and a phenomenal uh, guitar player. But I remember he, he, we were playing, I think we were playing like George Gershwin or something, and mm. he was trying to help out the horn players and like the, the the string players and then just like the piano and he was like he was helping everyone with a certain uh part on the piano but he was like transposing everything yeah. right in front of our eyes <laughs> Like <Yeah. laughs> i amazing. was like Whoa. Yeah. yeah yeah you know so it's just it's interesting how you know how tunis can entirely you know change the instrument um i do want to ask you too from uh you know since since technically you know songwriting was you know, like you said, that kind of it led you to, you know, playing, playing an instrument. What are some of the, uh, did you, do you have any favorite, you know, singer songwriters that really kind of helped eventually gravitate to, you know, your own sound or just that you.
0: you Songwriter, know. Yeah, songwriters that, yeah. Songwriters that made me want to write myself. It, 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 you know, it ended up being some West African mm. songwriters who wrote on the kora wrote on a, do and, and Goonie. The, that really made me want to go after something. It's, so, you know, at least that's of the way I remember it. You know, but before I that was kind of a deeper ethnomusicology type of deep dive I took at the end of college. But like mid college years, I was really inspired by kind of B side secretive mm. uh, David Gray recordings. I really loved the the kind of mournful caterwauling in his vocals like he really had this bent power like you know his the way he would curve his his notes and his melodies with his voice with so much power really I related to that um you know um Peter Gabriel did the same thing yeah. in a much pop, more popular sounding way um Sinead O'Connor the power of her voice like oh, yeah. the power and and the deliberate voicing of, you know, give, just hearing these people energize language and words with this vocal power, it really made me think, hey, that's something I wanna try and do. Mm. And never gave myself permission to try. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, and then I started listening to this African music where, I mean, the places that they kick off their, their lines and their songs, they start really high up mm. out of nowhere, no, no effect on their vocal, yeah. and kind of tumble down this ladder of vocal, um, you know, a melody that's just this kind of cascading down a ladder uh, note by note Yeah. Um, that really turned me on. And, but also the simplicity of, of the two instruments, uh, just the acoustic instrument and their vocal and, um, and, uh, and the lack of effect and how much emotion they were getting, you know, mm. how much size they were getting out of those two things. I started to you know, I really love Trip Hop as far as electronica because it was often, you know, a really simple arrangement. Mm. And um, I started to see this kind of production idea that I wanted really badly, which is to kind of bring these lesser-known African styles to a very simple production mm. uh, and try it myself. And I sound nothing like that <laughs> now. <laughs> but in the beginning, you know, I, I in the beginning of my recording career i was aiming for something more alternative like that and mm. uh you know the first record i made was more in the realm of uh, iron and wine and supion stevens and songwriters like that that were more alternative um and they were probably f- listening to similar stuff that i was you know and, mm. and they really honed it in and, and perfected it wow wow talk to me about as
1: far as uh lyrics you know um when were were you writing from a very early age? Um, you know, ever since you started trying the singing thing, or when did when did writing your own lyrics really kick off?
0: Yeah, so I started writing poetry mm-hmm. um, before I ever thought I'd become a musician, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, before I ever considered being a songwriter, I started writing poetry in uh, late high school and early in college, and got good enough that I realized how you know, that I had to reach an amateur, you know, beginning level, I I published a few poems and started to really fall in love with the process of editing. And so I really got into being what I would call the beginnings of a real poet in that I was really into the actual work Hmm. of writing well you know, like it's, it's not just about having a skill with language and writing. It's about having a deep joy of the arduous hours of editing and examination and, Mm. you know, and research. Sometimes it goes into getting a good poem finished. Um, But I could not get a, get past how much music there was in, in poetry as a medium. Mm. And I heard it, you know, I just heard it and felt it. And, um, And that's when it, you know, it became clear that I was going to give it a shot to put music to the lyrics and it was so much fun it was it was really formulaic and it was it was like cooking you know i, I imagine it's like mm. really uh, there's recipes and there's spells in writing a song and it becomes multi-level and someone who loves the lyric writing and the melody writing and the the rhythm you know developing a rhythm and a time all these pieces like really matter to me mm. so i enjoy the full process and i couldn't I couldn't avoid it so like <clears throat> so yeah <clears throat> I started chopping up unfinished poems and turning them into songs. So mm. right out the gate, I think that what folks paid attention most to me as a young songwriter early early on was the fact that my lyrics had some gravity and and um now it's kind of taken for granted and they expect me to, you know, um, get better every single time. And <laughs> at, at this point, it's no longer about wordcraft and like, you know, blowing the finest glass out of, you know, wordcraft, mm-hmm. but really telling a story with it and really digging to an emotive honesty. Yeah. In the lyric. And so I'm starting to, I think, enter into it, which is really the sound that, you know, belongs to the kind of, the good outlaw country genre mm. that I'm starting to sound a little bit connected to here on this record. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was going to, um, before I kind of dive into, you know, the, uh, the album that's gonna, coming out here pretty soon for you, uh, is just how well you really paint a picture, um, in a lot of these songs, you know, I feel like there's kind of a canvas being painted right in front of me as I'm listening to the songs. Um, which is really neat, you know. Uh, like you said, you know, the the word, you know, uh, wor- you know, wordplay, you know, is a whole whole other, you know, type of a technical, you know, refinement. But then also being able to kind of describe something very well with very few words, also, I feel like, is a really technical achievement as well. And and uh, I definitely, yeah, it's it's definitely a vis, it's definitely a visual uh experience uh equal as a listening one which i mm. find really really, I in- really interesting do do you have uh, I always like i always like picking people's brands on like specific works that do that you know do that for artists uh is there something that connected with you from you know listening to that western african music or just from you know, maybe just, uh, uh, you know, any type of music, maybe that just kind of resonates with you that you think of that, that does that for you, where you listen to it and it just paints a picture for you.
0: Well, going back to the West African music that, you know, I, I I was like studying that stuff and that was pre songwriter life. And it was really more about, I didn't know what they were saying. They were singing in different, you know, they were singing in, uh, (laughs) in, uh, Ghanaian and things Mm -hmm. like that. And Um, but the, the obvious, the, the, the level of clarity and, and full throated, you know, genuine, honest vocalizing they were doing, Mm. there wasn't kind of this kind of passive. Yeah. I threw these lyrics here so I could write a song type of attitude about any of it. Mm. And they could, they could be singing about the most simple thing, but there was this, there was this, um, you know, um truth being told every time they open their mouth, you know it they, they sounded like they were risking everything every time they sang sang a line. Oh wow, I oh. really ascribe to that. I love that idea. I really believe that, you know, uh, going back to the punk clubs when I was a kid, the but we were not just seeing any old punk bands. These were the ones that rose to the top. You know, these were the best. and I, and 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 when you see one after another after another after another, you start to take out the thread that connects it all and there was always a risk you know Mm. like each band was showing some level of genuine risk uh on stage in the in the way that they were delivering their songs um and for me after that you know ending up with a stepfather who is a world famous jazz musician it's not so much about showmanship it's about musicianship and it's about artistry the risk the risk has to come in the writing the risk has to come in how you you know how much air you push into your singing you don't want to be passive you know that that, it's like who's got time for that there's so many (laughs) there's so many greats out there who are like killing it it's like you know you got either come full forward with it or, 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 or just keep it for yourself. And hmm. there's no harm in that, but if you're asking people to listen, you have to mean it, you know? Wow. I would say, I um, so, but, yeah, I mean, I would say that now I'm, you know, like, like songwriters that inspire me, the Avid brothers, hmm. you know, the way they're, they're deliberate storytelling, totally infused in this artful, you know, this this deep understanding of the art of language and, and spoken word. Mm. But real, I mean, uh, the story is scientifically real. Like, they are telling you the story of their mother and father, their brothers and sisters, each other, themselves. Like, it's a science, you know, like they're dissecting a frog. <laughs> but they make it an art form, and a musical art form, which is awesome. Wow. Wow.
1: Yeah, I resonated a lot with what you, what you said there. It's funny, I, I tend to you know, uh, really feeling emotion, you know, through singing, whether I can, whether I can understand the language or not, this has definitely been something that I've had an interest in as well. There's a band called, uh, I want to say it's pronounced, uh, Tenarwin. It's the song. Oh yeah.
0: To yeah.
1: yeah. I, man, I, I I, right? I, I came across them through listening to NPR and they transitioned from one segment to another and the slight piece of their music was playing between the two segments, and I had I had to do the Shazam mm-hmm. on my, my car radio as I was driving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nope. and nope. Uh, it just it just kind of did create a huge rabbit
0: hole, you know, and just just such powerful you know powerful okay. music. So, you know, all those all those uh, Malayan and Nigerian uh, desert blues artists that are coming out of the desert under Ali Farka uh, you know, uh, who uh, you know, and Tumani Diabate, those two being like the ones who led the charge and created the the call like the jam in the desert or mm. something that Damon Alburn from Blur and mm. and Gorillas made famous when he found it and discovered it and it was really championed by Ali mm. Um these bands are incredible, you know. Uh yeah. I, I love narrow in And there's a few others that are on their level. And these are these are guys who are riding out of the desert for the first time to that show. Mm. They have they have a guitar slung across one shoulder and an AK forty seven slung across the other. <laughs> you know, it's like two different lines of work. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I bet. I, I, are you familiar with um, Songhoy Blues as well? Are you Are you familiar with that band? I haven't
0: heard them. Say it again.
1: Uh, Songhoi Blues. No,
0: I don't know you.
1: You'd love them.
0: They're really they're incredible band incredible band Great. after this you got to just shoot me a quick email with that i want to see how it's spelled I'll, I'll find them oh i will i will Okay. yeah yeah yeah
1: just just kind of hearing the you know the 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 vast uh you know, catalog in your brain on the music that you you listen to. I think you would really dig song blues. They're very very great, great, great band. Um, So talking about your album here, uh, let me play I want to play a little bit of this before you dive into it. I feel like there's a lot that can be told here, especially given your, you know, your, your poetic background. Um, Let me just play a little bit of this and then we can uh, dive right into it here.
0: Great. the dust the hay in the road where we threw ooh, seeds in the spring brand new climb your rig you ride so cool like a single.
1: Uh, tell me a little bit as far as this kind of the, uh, you know, how the the album uh, Welcome, Farewell, you know, how it uh, came to be as far as from like a writing or just a conceptual, you know, side. Uh, how did it uh, evolve,
0: you know, into this album? Right. Um, this is definitely a, a different record for me mm. in the sense that this is the first record that I've pretty much written all of the the ideas out for on a voice recorder out of the studio it's the first time that i wasn't sitting down with a pad and paper primarily um, writing out these you know the the essential bodies of these songs or with a guitar in hand writing out the songs i was mostly walking um or skiing in the woods around my farm here in the mountains in the green mountains here where i live in vermont Um, a lot of uphill overland skiing in the winter and then you're deeply secluded. Mm. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, always on my own uh, for an hour or two with my dog. Mm. And that, that, that creates a a tempo. Usually you're, you're moving at a set tempo. Once you start to fall into a groove Mm. and I would come up with these, I would just be thinking deeply about my life and lines would come to mind to a time to a to a tempo you know to a time signature mm. and then a melody would kind of set to it and i would build a line or two out of that and put it into a voice memo every single time Wow! and i'd go back to the studio with sometimes you know i, I would do that while i was hiking i'd get two or three four lines and then finish it on the car ride home and then uh sit down and and finish it out all the way with a guitar and the guitar was following the melody that i'd already hummed out you know while out on the trail mm. i sorry there's a, a, a helicopter going by nearby. oh no worries was, i had to meet
1: a few it, times because I, I live near an airport
0: <laughs> this is very rare they must they must be looking for something we were way in the back country so i don't know, <laughs> I don't know what they could be looking for but um so yeah, so most of this record was written that way. I'd say, you know, 75% of it. Um,
1: was that an intention as far as for that, that type of songwriting? Um,
0: no, I would you know, or for example, you know, the song you just, you know, all of them, yeah. I, I think one of the songs on this record I wrote on the, while working on the tractor, you know, mm. like cultivating same thing just like something in what i was doing a were a repetitive were in the in the engine or just hiking and moving through the woods hmm. created the the bed that i would build the ideas of these songs off of and i put it into a voice recorder and like i said i've never been able to do that in a way that, that was inspiring enough hmm. that it had legs enough to get me to finish a song later on hmm. if that makes sense you know without a guitar behind it it would right, be hard right. to really um really find the essence of the melody that was in mind, and I took the time to do that every time with in this case and yes, the, it was not intentional. no, it, it wow. kind of became a thing. and there was some. and in that way it was a little bit more of an intimate process, I believe it or not. it was like yeah. um, kind of like stealing the the atmosphere from those places that I otherwise you know these sacred spaces, these woods that you know people visit. On you know for other reasons, so yeah, it was kind of cool.
1: Interesting, yeah. The the it definitely feels it feels organic. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a very organic and nurturing sense of the music. You know, and especially like you said, as far as kind of taking taking what you what you have recorded and written down and and, and applying that in a melodic way you know um mm-hmm. how how as far as for kind of putting those molding that together musically you know what, what was how long was the process as far as kind of uh working on the album
0: um it wasn't short i mean you know mm. i i had uh i think i had one of these songs I, it was like um what would i say i'm trying to think of i think the first song that i wrote that's on this record is uh probably nothing in the world i think it's like track three somewhere in there mm. um and uh that was probably the first song the, the oldest song so i would say on this record and that was probably like 29 early 2019 somewhere in there mm. or maybe you know um and then you know the last song i wrote on this record i finished or I could say we finished, you know, producing this record a few months ago. So oh, wow. as far as writing goes, you know, maybe beginning of this year um, or maybe a little bit earlier, I think the painter might be uh, one of the younger tunes on this record. Um, and some of them are a little bit re- revamped from older things and finished out uh, mm. that made the record. Once that happened, wow. it took a while, it took a while, but that's also because COVID, you know, the pandemic happened. Right. Uh, And everyone had to kind of reconfigure. Everyone took a big break to figure out what was going on. Yeah. Um, And then we came back to it. Um, But I would say that this is my pandemic record that we did a lot of the work during the shutdown. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
1: Any, Any particular moments working on the album that stick out to you?
0: I can remember often you know where i was when i was voicing these tunes and those spaces are just some of my favorites now until the pandemic hit i was not able to go out and you know be outside quite as much as i have been Mm. i mean most of my time outside was devoted to helping my wife farm she's an organic farmer Mm. Um, but with the pandemic and not having to commute to work i spent a good hour and a half to two outside almost every single day throughout well, since March of 2019, and it hasn't stopped yet, um, mm-hmm. and it's been like this newfound commitment to my, you know, sacred love of of the wilderness and of nature, and uh, and so kind of the record itself, um, all in all, kind of is a memory for me of connecting to the, the forest, you know, and being mm-hmm. out there on the mountains. Um, but, as far as writing goes, I mean, you know, a couple of these storylines they just clicked like the mm-hmm. one that you like, uh, nash um, Skyline Drive yeah. is a f- there's a good handful of songs on this record that are about my grandmother who passed away in um in June of twenty nineteen and she was mm-hmm. the matriarch head of the family and a, a mythically inspirational figure for all of us, you know, like just this mm-hmm. amazing, rich character of a person and so. Um, her passing was just as big and robust a thing as her living, and mm-hmm. it really inspired some great, you know, committed storytelling and songwriting. And Apple Tree is about that. It's about her. Um, Skyline Drive is about her. Um, Nothing in the world. It speaks to you know her in ways as well. And um, I feel like there's another tune on the record, you know, that that is directly related. Um, and the other songs are about, you know, my relationships with my kids and my, my wife and um, and inspirational dear friends who are artists also. And hmm. that's so the whole thing really feels more cohesive as a collection of songs than ever any that I put together in the past.
1: Wow. Yeah. Like he're, hearing you talk about, you know, what as far as certain songs and what, you know, who, who they were, uh, you know, uh, about kind of, you know, d- rather direct- directly or indirectly. It sounds like it was a very reflective experience, you know, hmm. reflecting on your life, reflecting on people that, you know, you, 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 you held dear, hold dear, um, you know. So I find that to be a very, very interesting thing too, you know. And it seems like it does fit, It like you said, you know, the listening to the to song, it, it, there is... There is a continuity, you know, around each song. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. like, it's kind of like listening to your world, what inspires you and, you know, and uh, what you hold dear. So it's a very, uh, very nice achievement there. Yeah. Very, very interesting to listen to. Wow. Wow. Is there anything that you want the listener to get out of listening to your project? You know, I feel like, no, no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, no, I didn't say no. I mean, I said, well, I mean, I, I really one of one of the one of the pieces of the designs of the song that surfaced for me that I wouldn't say was consciously intentional but mm-hmm. you know as as someone listening for a sound as I was approaching writing these songs I I realized that almost every song has a pretty large instrumental mm. break like the the choruses are almost in, you know, there to kind of build to an instrumental, which in the past has not been my approach. I've always kind of led to a vocal climax rather than a an instrumental one. And mm. whether it's the climax of the song or not, there's like a really, um, real section for the players on almost every song, mm. which I love. Um, and it it's kind of a nod to what can't be spoken, you mm. know. Yeah. And uh, the players that we use as are, is often the case with this wonderful team that I have in Mother West. And they're all great. They're all world-class players. You know, we're not doing anyone favors when they play on the record. They are top-notch um, wow. and they're doing me favors. And and that's always wonderful. So I would just say to the listener, they're going to find a, a, a more, I would say more, uh, there's going to be more music on mm-hmm. this record. There's gonna be, the instruments have, have a lot to, to do with it. Um, and then the other piece is that it really... I started putting the record together around like as I was saying the loss of my grandmother so mm. if if there is any kind of um grounding theme or intentionality in the record it's recognizing uh death as a part of life and mm. the kind of gravity and maturity and um, more robust living one can have when they're not running from that but being in relationship with with the passing of the people in their lives that they love and their own and their own aging and Um, It's kind of brave in that sense. And uh, remarkably, a really dear friend, whom I gave the very first pressing of the CD to a few weeks ago, just, you know, because he was nearby and I gave it it to him and said, give it a listen. His mom passed not long after, a couple of few weeks after, oh, wow. and they, he, he came back without any solicitation to tell me that this record is ridiculously well-serving for him right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like I gave it to him and said, okay, this is about death. You know, I right. hope it, I hope you get something from it. I listen to it if somebody close to you is is passing, but oh. it, it really worked. And um, and I think that that was the greatest compliment I could get. So wow yeah wow wow
1: well uh chris Gruen, I, I i really appreciate speaking with you today this is a really uh a great conversation and uh you have a a great piece of work here um that i'm excited for the world to listen to in september so again thank you so much for being on the show man thank you thank you very much it's been a pleasure of course of course Well, there you have it, folks. This is Jarrell from the 440 Guitar Podcast. We'll jam again soon, and uh, have a good day.
0: try All the smart boys know why